Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. to see you. Thanks uh, to the music team. You did such a good job this morning. Uh, what great singing we had. Uh, I love the fact that in this church the singing always brings the people. We start singing and there's nobody here. By the time we finish singing, everybody's here. Welcome to everybody and especially to the visitors today. Nice to see you here with us today. Um, for those who don't know me, of course, mainly for our visitors, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors at this church. Uh, Andre is the Andre Devitt is the pastor who normally preaches here, but uh, while they've been away during December over the Christmas and New Year time, uh, other pastors in this church have been filling in. So today is another opportunity for me to just be a fill-in. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to introduce the new year. We're going to start off the new year with a with a bang. And I'm going to share with you the motivation that is in my heart when I climb out of bed every day, when, for example, preparing a sermon to preach, or every time I start a new counseling session, or every time I do something, when I read the Word of God, when I share the Gospel with somebody, I want to share with you the the thing that motivates me to do that. And this should be a motivation for every true believer in the Lord Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a tin opener. I know this is not going to look very good, but I'm going to open my head with a tin opener. You can look inside and you can say, oh, that's what makes this guy tick. You know, that's what moves this guy. That's what motivates him. And what motivates me is seeing the millennial Christ, seeing the Christ in the millennial age, in the millennial kingdom. So today we're looking at the millennial Christ. So we're going to talk about that for a moment. But first, let me put this in context. Do you remember Over this Christmas season and over this New Year season, we've been speaking, we've been focusing on Jesus Christ in His different capacities. We've seen Him in different ways. Remember the last time I preached, I spoke about the fact that the baby born in the manger makes the creation and fall significant and makes the future significant. And without understanding the the role that the past and the future play, you won't be motivated in your present. You won't be able to live every day with motivation if you don't know where you're going. And if you don't know how the future is, has an impact on the past. You know, the creation, is there a purpose to it all? Does man have purpose? So that's where, where I went last time I was preaching, if you remember. So the, the creation and the future have significance because of Jesus. Jesus makes it significant. I'm sorry, I forgot to record that sermon, so you're just going to have to use your imagination to, to try and work out what I was saying that time, okay? And then last time, last week, remember, Donovan was here, and he was preaching about Christ in Revelation 5. 
Remember, we see the Lamb coming to the throne of the Father, and the Father has a scroll in His hand, and it's His last will and testament, as it were, the title deeds of the universe. And there's no one found who is worthy to open that scroll, you know, to take the scroll and to open the seals in that scroll. And John is crying because he can't believe that the whole story of the universe has come to this point where the final scroll, the final words written about this universe are on that scroll. What's going to happen? And no one can open it. What's going to happen now? If it, was this an oversight? And Donovan was showing us how the Lamb, the Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes along and He takes that scroll from the hand of the Father and He's worthy to open the seals of that scroll. And He unfolds section after section after section of that scroll and we see what's going to happen in this universe. And that was wonderful, seeing the great and glorious Lord Jesus Christ reigning in glory with the Father right now. His session at the right hand of God, seated on the throne of God. So today, of course, last week, I was still trying to decide what I was going to preach today. So when Donovan was speaking about the Lamb at the throne of the Father, I thought there's nowhere else I can go but to take this one step further. And let's look at what's going to happen in the very next stage of the future. After we've seen the great tribulation and we've seen the Lamb taking that scroll, all of those details unfolding in the future, what's next? What's next on God's timetable? So today we're going to have a look at the millennial Christ. We're going to look at what, who Jesus is going to be in the thousand-year millennial kingdom that is coming straight after the great tribulation. So let's begin by asking the question, what is the millennium? What is the millennium? What is this thing even? We use this word, and in fact, the word millennium, as some have pointed out, doesn't even appear in the Bible, does it? Because it's a Latin word. The Bible wasn't written in Latin, was it? It was written in Hebrew and Greek with a little bit of Aramaic in some places in the Old Testament. But you don't find the word millennium. So, of course, there's a, there's a Greek word for that we don't really need to know. But the point is that the language says it is a thousand years. It's a thousand-year period. Millennium means in Latin, it's a, it's a word for a thousand years, a thousand-year time period. So let's start off with this one text. And this is going to be the main text that runs through our minds. doesn't matter where I go in the text today. This is going to be the key theme, the key text that we're going to be bouncing off the whole time. Revelation 20 verse 1 to 6 says, And I saw, this is John, and he's standing there, observing this amazing vision right at the end of John's book of the Revelation. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. Some translations call that the bottomless pit. It's the same place, the abyss. And holding in his hand a great chain. Verse 2 says, He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. And I like the way Revelation explains who this is, okay, just in case you don't know. The, the dragon the ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan. Okay, we all know who that is. And bound him for a thousand years. Thousand years. Okay? The millennium, the thousand years. He binds Satan for a thousand years. Verse 3, He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years, again, the thousand years, were ended. After that, he, that Satan, must be set free for a short time. Verse 4 says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. 
And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ. Christ, how long? For a thousand years. The, th- the same thousand year period. The rest of the dead, in brackets, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. How many times did that text say a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years? We get the point. There's going to be this period of a thousand years where Christ is going to rule and Satan is going to be bound. And I find this thousand year kingdom to be one of, my, one of the most thrilling aspects of eschatology or end times theology. I'm longing for this kingdom. And I'll, I'll show you why in a moment. So basically, the millennium is a thousand year kingdom where Christ and his saints will rule the world and where Satan will be bound for the whole time. You'll have no influence in this world for a thousand years. Who would like to see that? Who is longing for that? Who is longing for a perfect world where Satan is bound? Well, I'm number one. If you've got this tin open and you've opened my head and you've seen what I'm thinking, you'll see I'm longing for that age where Satan is bound no more evil. So that's the first question. What is the millennium? It's a thousand year reign where Christ is king, his saints are going to reign with him, and Satan is bound. thousand years, it's a long time. And then the second question we ask is, when will this millennium take place? Is it going to be today? Will it be tomorrow? Is it going to be in 10 years' time, a thousand years' time? How long must this world keep going until we see this millennial kingdom? Well, let's have a look at the chronology. There's a little chart here. And for the sake of this service today, I've really squashed this chart. I've taken, I've thrown out so much of the, the detail in this chart. And this is the basic outline of the events to come, as our church believes it from the text of Scripture. You see, first we have creation on that chart. Secondly, of course, there's the fall. Then we have redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have the church age. And that's where we are right now. If, if you're in Menland Mall, for example, and you're looking at that map and you can't work out where you're going, you look for that big arrow that says, you are here. Well, right there in the church age, you are here. That's where we are. We're experiencing the church age. The very next thing to happen on God's timetable, of course, is the rapture. God is going to take away His saints. He's going to snatch us, pull us away, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be with Him, to be glorified in His presence. And so immediately after the rapture, you can see those two blocks I've put in there, the yellow one and the black one. Those represent heaven and tribulation, the tribulation on this earth. So while the saints, the church, has been raptured for seven years, there's going to be seven years of tribulation on this earth. So, of course, I could could just go on and on about all of these details, but that's not my point. Right at the end of that seven-year period, after God has has been punishing the Jewish nation for rejecting Christ and calling them to Himself during that seven years, the black block, And the saints, the the church, true believers in Christ, have been in heaven with Christ for seven years and have been rewarded and have been glorified. The end of that tribulation is the great battle of Armageddon. 
and the great battle of Armageddon is the moment when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in spectacular manner with all of his saints, all of the church from this church age, and Jesus places his feet on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives splits in half. Glorious, glorious, glorious moment where Jesus Christ returns. And who's going to be with him? I'm going to be there. I'm going to be with Christ when he returns from heaven to the earth, just as he had promised to his disciples. Remember, they said, the same Jesus who was taken from, you know, from right in front of your eyes, he was standing here talking to you, he was taken into heaven. The same Jesus is going to return in the same way that you've seen him go. And incidentally, right there where Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives is exactly the place where he was standing when he was taken up from the disciples. What a wonderful thing. You and I, if you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus, are going to return with Christ. We're going to land on that Mount of Olives and the mountain will be split open. Zechariah 14 verse 3 to 5 says, Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. This is the great battle of Armageddon. If you know Zechariah 12 to 14, that's the whole theme of these chapters. Verse 4, on that day, listen to this, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee, that's the Jews, of course, he's speaking to the Jews. You will flee by my mountain valley, and it will extend from Azel, extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. So the whole heavenly host descends from heaven with the saved, glorified saints, you and I, who live in the church age, or if you die before the rapture takes place, you'll be with Christ on that day. You will descend onto the Mount of Olives with Jesus Christ. And in that moment, the whole battle of Armageddon comes to an end. As Jesus Christ puts his enemies to death, and the great and glorious millennial kingdom begins, as you saw on that chart a moment ago. Straight after Armageddon, you have the beginning of the millennial kingdom. So we have the church age, we have Christ snatching away his church out of this world, seven years in heaven receiving rewards, being glorified, while Christ judges the earth, the time of Jacob's trouble. And then at the end of that seven years, you've got Christ returning with his people, with you and I as believers in Christ, to defeat all of his enemies. You can imagine the whole world coming against God in Jerusalem and setting up his glorious millennial kingdom. Christ has returned as king. What an awesome moment. I don't know if that brings joy to you. I live for this. I live for this moment. I'm longing to be taken away by Christ, to be glorified, and to come back to this world and to reign with Christ in glory onto this very, very planet that we're living on right now. So when will the millennial kingdom take place? We've seen that. Rapture. Tribulation, Christ returning at the end of the battle of Armageddon, setting up his millennial kingdom. I hope that's clear enough because some people get real confused when I talk about this stuff and it gets a bit fuzzy and then their eyes go a bit glassy and then it's like, yeah, whatever, it's something like that. 
But please, you know, go watch on YouTube. You'll see this presentation. You can see the order. If you really want to know more, please come back for ABTC next year. We'll go through the whole of systematic theology. We'll go through a whole day, six hours, teaching on this very thing. Okay, then the next question is, who will go? Who is going to actually go into this millennial kingdom? Are you going to go? Am I going to go? Who's going to go into this kingdom? Number one, Christ the King. Of course, He's just descended. He's placed His feet on the Mount of Olives and the mountain is blasted open. The Jews who are being persecuted in Jerusalem, the whole world's enemies are gathered up against them from all the way up the valley of, Jericho, uh, of um, Jordan, right up to the valley of Megiddo. You've got about 150 kilometers, a crowd of enemies about 150 kilometers wide attacking Jerusalem. And suddenly Jesus comes back and the Jews are running out of Jerusalem and they're running in the split that is created by this mountain and they suddenly look up and they see Jesus and they realize everything's going to be okay. And he slaughters their enemies. He, he turns that place into a bloodbath. And I wish I could tell you more about that, but it's going to be a terrible time. But at that moment, Christ sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So Christ is king. That's who's going in. Christ the king. Secondly... All Christians um, who live in the church age, Christians who have, who have died from the beginning of the church age, remember in Acts chapter 2 when the church began, all Christians, all true saved believers from that time are going to go into that kingdom. And that includes Jewish people who have been truly born again through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ during this time. They will go into that kingdom whether they've died or whether they've have, are still existing during that time where they still live. Now, the second group of people that are going to go in, uh, well, Christ, all Christians, and then Christians, including Jews, who were raptured and glorified. So if you're still alive in this world and the rapture takes place and you're taken up into heaven to be glorified, you're going to go into that kingdom as well. And then we're going to see Christians who were saved during the tribulation. Because, you know, once the rapture takes place, there's not one single saved person left on earth during the tribulation period, is there? Because every true believer has been taken into glory. But the gospel will be preached throughout the, the tribulation. You've got the gospel being preached by the 144,000 Jews who have been saved. You've got the gospel being preached, strangely, by a flying eagle that's flying in the air and preaching the eternal gospel. And you've got the two witnesses that appear in Jerusalem preaching the gospel, preaching. So at the time of greatest tribulation, there's also going to be a time of great mercy where God is saving people during the tribulation. So people who are saved... During that tribulation period, they're going to be received into the kingdom as well. And if they survive, if they get all the way through the tribulation without dying, but notice that people who are saved after that, they're not yet glorified. They're not yet glorified if they go through the tribulation without dying and being received into glory. They're not yet glorified if they survive all the way through. They're going to go into the kingdom in a not, not yet glorified state. Then you've got Christians who are saved during the tribulation and who are also killed during the tribulation and received into glory. They will go into the, into the millennial kingdom, but they will be glorified. And then you've got Jews who were saved during the tribulation and who were killed and who have been received into glory. They will come back glorified. Then you've got Jews who were saved during the tribulation and they survived the tribulation. They will go into the millennial kingdom not yet glorified. 
So anyone who has not yet died and been glorified will come into the kingdom. If they're true believers, they will go in not yet glorified. And that's interesting because we're going to have a mix of glorified and not yet glorified Christians in this millennial kingdom. It's going to be an amazing kingdom, isn't it? And then, you've course, of course, you've got Jews, uh, uh, sorry, Old Testament saints who rise from their graves now glorified. As soon as the battle of Armageddon is over, all of the Old Testament saints, Moses and Elijah and all of those saints from times of old, their bodies are resurrected and they come into the kingdom. Imagine you and I, when we come back with the Lord Jesus, we'll see Moses and we'll see Elijah. We'll see all of those prophets that we've longed to see. We'll see King David. We'll see Solomon. We'll find out what it was like for Solomon to be so rich in his time. Richer than even the greatest corporations on this earth at our present time. Notice that not one single person who fights against Christ will escape the battle of Armageddon. Not one person who fights against Christ will escape the battle of Armageddon. So there you have this diverse group of people entering into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I mean the millennial kingdom. Verse, Revelation 19, verse 19 to 21 says, I uh, can't remember how many of these texts I put on the presentation. There's so many. Uh, says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And these signs, with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. That's the end of God's enemies. Every one of them is killed. Now... I do have to admit that while I've been studying this, over the years I've been studying this, this is one thing that I cannot understand about the millennial kingdom, okay? There's some, there's some room for disagreement here, okay? One thing about the, the millennial kingdom is this text that we just read in Revelation chapter 19 shows at the battle of Armageddon, God putting to death every person who fights against Christ in Jerusalem. But there are texts in Zechariah 12 to 14 that say the survivors of those nations will enter the kingdom, into the millennial kingdom. So we don't know in that particular kingdom, the thousand year reign, whether survivors from this age are going to go into that kingdom even though they're unsaved or whether it, it, he's just speaking about the survivors who are actually truly saved during the millennial, during the, the tribulation. So that's one thing that I'm not absolutely sure on, so don't quote me on that, okay? I think it's possible that the survivors of the nations are going to go in and they're going to be ruled over by Christ and His saints, His people, but I'm not absolutely decided on that one thing. So true believers, both Jews and Gentiles, will enter the millennial kingdom and they will populate this new, this renewed earth. The tribulation is going to be so harsh on the earth it's going to purify with fire so many different aspects of creation and destroy all of the pollution remember i've preached about this before and we're going to go into a kingdom that has been renewed it's going to be beautiful so where are all these nations going to come from true believers who go into that kingdom who are not yet glorified saints who were saved during the tribulation who are truly believers but go into the kingdom they're going to be marrying and they're going to be given in marriage and they're going to be having children and families. 
and not all of those children in the millennial kingdom are going to be saved. So you're going to have millions and then billions of people populating this millennial kingdom. A world like ours, except that people are going to live for hundreds of years and have many, many, many children. So the population is going to grow very fast. And you might say, well, who are, who are we going to reign over if we're reigning with Christ? These are the people, nations that are going to be born, but they're going to be under the rule of Christ. So not yet glorified saints will marry and bear children and will form the new nations. So not all of these children will be saved, thus a growing population of unsaved people during the millennial kingdom. So there's no fear, like I've said so many times before, there's no fear that once you die as a true believer in the Lord Jesus, that you suddenly just start floating. You like float away and you're on a cloud somewhere, just you know, trying to move, like getting through a cloud. You know, Maybe you got separated from your harp. And you're like, oh, you know, like walking on the moon. That's not heaven. That's not the way the world to come is going to be. I wouldn't be motivated by that. I don't want to sort of float in a cloud forever just trying to make my way somewhere. We're going to a kingdom. A kingdom that is an earthly kingdom. This actual world, the thousand year kingdom is this actual planet that we're living on. Where Christ is king. So that brings us to the next question. Now we know who's going to be in the kingdom. We know what the millennium is, what the millennial kingdom is. We know who's going to go into, I mean, when it'll take place. We know who's going to go into the kingdom. And now thirdly, we want to ask this, fourthly, whatever the number was, we're going to ask the question, what is this kingdom going to be like? And of course, there's so much in in both the New and Old Testament about this millennial kingdom that I had to narrow down my description of what this kingdom is going to be like to who Christ is going to be in this kingdom. Let's look at the king and we're going to see what this world is going to be like with this kind of king ruling over this world. If I could say under new management or under a new government, imagine a global government and this government is glorious. So what will this kingdom be like? What will this thousand year millennial kingdom be like? Firstly, Christ will be king. Christ will be king and he will be present in his person, in his physical body, and he will be reigning over this entire earth from his throne in Jerusalem, King David's throne. And I've got so many texts here to read to you. I'm just going to read through them quickly. I haven't actually put them on the presentation. And just a tip, you see on the presentation, I've put the, the point I'm talking about in bold and I've and I'm going to just shuffle them up the screen. As Philip goes, you'll see them shuffling up the screen. But the one I'm speaking about is the bold one. And I've left the ones that are not in bold on the screen. So in case you missed something, you can still see, you know, like this trail of thought, okay? Just so you don't get lost. Look at Isaiah 9 verse 7 and Jeremiah 7, uh, 3 verse 17a. It says there, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Who's that? That's Jesus. It's the great Son of God. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. So you've got Jesus in his physical body reigning over the whole globe from his throne as king in Jerusalem. And I just want to say, wow, imagine being able to just go to the throne of God. You look at Jesus on the throne, and you, he's your brother. He's the one that you love. Christ will personally rule over the whole world, says Psalm 2, verses 8 to 10, and Isaiah 2, verse 2 to 4. Ask of me, the psalm says, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. What an amazing, what an amazing kingdom this is. It just sounds so um, enthusiastic. It sounds as if there's, there's life and energy gushing from this kingdom, that the whole world, everybody on the earth will want to come here. Christ will end all fighting and war, and he will establish universal peace. So Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says, we read it just now, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Imagine no fighting. Imagine never, for a thousand years, imagine never seeing one person fighting with another person. Imagine being under a ruler who is not corrupt, who doesn't throw people into jail for the wrong thing. Imagine never being framed for something. Imagine never being accused falsely. Imagine peace for a thousand years, on and on and on and on and on. We can't imagine that. We can't even get through a day without seeing or hearing about or reading about somebody fighting with somebody else or something going wrong. Christ will establish peace throughout those thousand years, throughout the whole world. Christ will end all hostility toward the Jews. You know how the world hates Jewish people at the moment. You know how the world has always hated the Jews. You know how the Jews have been the target of slaughter over the millennia of the history of this world. And the day will come when, when God, when Christ the King will put to end all of that hostility toward the Jews. And the entire world will love the Jewish people because they will be reigning throughout the earth. Zechariah 8 verse 13 and 23, he says, As you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Imagine being a Jew and everyone's like, ah, oh, there's a Jew, we want to be with him. Almost like in the movies, you see the cool kids at school and everyone wants to hang with the cool kids. In the millennial kingdom, everybody's going to want to know the Jews. Everybody's going to see them as glorious people and they're going to be, want, to, want to be around them and present with them and love them and appreciate them because they've brought world peace. Christ will prove that he, the perfect man, can rule the whole world perfectly in contrast to the failing, corrupt, and wicked governments of the world. What a relief. What a relief to be able to read the news and not hear about war after war after war. I mean, didn't we just wake up this morning 
to news. I mean, every single morning we wake up to news about war in the world, don't we? But even this morning we hear about those rockets that were fired towards Tel Aviv and they landed in the sea and everybody's making excuses. But of course, Israel strikes targets in the Gaza Strip. And whatever you think about that, it's war. It's conflict. There's people dying. There's people suffering and dying because people are fighting. And we're going to have one man who's going to land on the Mount of Olives. He's going to destroy all of his enemies. He's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. And all war will end. And he will rule the world perfectly. Nothing is going to go out of control. No funds are going to be embezzled or leak through the cracks because of corruption when Christ is king. Imagine being able to pay tax and you know that you're not just flushing your money down the loo. Poof, there it goes. I don't know where the money went. You know what I'm saying? What a relief. What a relief to know that the government is absolutely honest in every single cent that you give to them. Every, every tiny little micro donation that you give in any form goes to the right place. And you can, you can just know that it's not going to be misused. Corrupt and wicked governments will come to an end. Imagine a thousand years of political peace. Imagine no xenophobia. I'm hoping you guys can see. Just, I mean, we, I haven't even touched this thing. I'm hoping you can see why this motivates me. I look at this earth. I look at my feet walking on the ground. And I say, it's not going to be long. And I'm going to be walking in this body, but glorified. I'm going to be walking on this actual earth and I'm going to be ruling with Christ in this glorious and perfect government for a thousand years. I'm going to be seeing generation after generation after generation of not yet glorified people and I'm going to be pouring my life into them and I'm going to be loving them. I'm going to be speaking to them perfectly. I'm going to be loving them perfectly. I'm going to be giving of myself perfectly and I'm never going to get tired. I'm going to love that service. Not like in this world. You can run and not be weary. You can walk and not faint. That's why the text says, teach me, Lord, to wait. Please, Lord, help me just to hang on and wait a little bit longer because this glorious kingdom is coming and what I do in this world is going to count in the kingdom to come. All of your studies are not in vain. There's going to be unglorified saints there who are going to get sick and they're going to die. They're going to need doctors. A glorified doctor. Imagine this glorious shining being coming to your side when you're sick and you, you know, you're struggling and administering the right medicine or the right healing touch and you're healed. Imagine, imagine how wonderful that would be if you could be lying in Steve Beaker and you think, I'm going to die here. And then this glorious being, this glorious human being shining with the glory of God comes in you and touches you and you well. Oh, man, Lord, help us to wait. Help us to live toward this kingdom. Help us to be motivated toward this. So Christ will rule over all unbelievers and they will serve him and he will punish every wrong action. And that's where you and I come in. We're going to be ruling over nations. We're going to be administering justice. You and I are going to be ruling with the authority of Christ. We're going to be ruling over cities, ruling over villages. People are going to come to you. You're going to administer justice. People are going to live and die at your command. Zechariah 14, 16 to 17. 
says, Then the survivors from all nations, this is the text I was talking about just now, survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. Immediate punishment. Deal with this thing immediately. Something is going to be done. No abdication of authority. Glorious, glorious Christ. Glorious, glorious ruler we're going to have in this world. And his rule is going to fill every corner of the globe. There's not going to be one place that is unaffected by the rule of this glorious king. Christ will bring justice throughout every class and ethnicity of people. Psalm 72 Verse 4 and Isaiah 65 verse 21 to 22 say, He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. Thousand years, hey, that's a long time to enjoy the things that you build. Isaiah 61, verse 4 And they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So Christ will renew all of these areas that have been impoverished and destroyed. Just think of so many places in the world today. The just sprawling slums that stretch as far as the eye can see. I don't know um, how many of you have been to a place like Kwamslanga. I mean, sometimes you drive through that place and, you know, you think one township where there's poverty and, and sickness and misery. You think one township is enough. But you go to Kwamslanga and you see it just goes on and on and on. And you think, how many millions of people are living here? And people are walking around and suffering. Christ is going to bring wealth and renewal to all places on the face of the earth where poverty and misery and sickness and disease and corruption and crime rule. He's going to regenerate all of those places so that they're beautiful and wonderful. Imagine... Having a guest come to your house and you won't be able to think of one place on the earth where you can say to the youngest girl, you can't walk there by yourself. <laughs> Imagine having safety where you can just walk. You can send your youngest, most tender, most innocent daughter and she'll be able to walk through any place on this earth and she will be absolutely safe. Christ, the ruler of this millennial kingdom. What a glorious reality. Christ will renew all of nature. Isaiah 65 verse 17 to 18. He says there, Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. But dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Imagine never being afraid of a dog biting you. Never being afraid of a snake. 
I know me and Bahati have had talks about snakes, you know. On the farm, we killed so many snakes. I'm like, there's a snake. Oh, well, let's kill it. It's gone. You know, snake in my girl's bedroom. How many times on the farm? Snake, you know, in my shoe cupboard. Once I pulled shoes out, there's a cobra in my, just crawling around among my shoes. Imagine being able to just see a snake and you, and you laugh at him. You're not afraid of him. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no thorn you can stand on in the grass while you're walking with bare feet that is going to pierce your foot. You'll never eat anything poisonous. Imagine nothing to defile, nothing to damage, nothing to hurt, nothing to harm you, ever. Your kids can go running out in the street and they'll never get knocked over by a car because it'll be safe. A safe, safe, safe environment. A glorious place that could only be described, in case there's some children listening, a place that can only be described as paradise. A glorious paradise. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to search the word paradise on Google. You type in paradise. And you know, you're like, you say, come on. Uh, where are all of the pictures of paradise? So why can't we find pictures of paradise? Because we've never seen paradise. We see places that people think look like paradise, but there's a glorious kingdom coming when the whole of nature is going to be renewed and it's going to be called paradise. Glorious reality is coming. Christ will bring, notice all of these things that I've been saying. This is Christ. This is the king, what he's going to do, the effect, the influence he's going to have on this new millennial kingdom. Christ will bring in global prosperity. You're like, wow, how is this even possible, man? Global prosperity. Zechariah 14, verse 14b. And Psalm 72, verse 3a, the first half. The wealth of the surrounding kingdoms will be collected. That's speaking about Jerusalem particularly. Great quantities of gold and silver and clothing. And then uh, Psalm 72, verse 3. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people. Wherever we go, there's going to be resources that we can use and there's going to be wealth across the globe. That is why he's going to restore people from poverty into wealth. It's going to be a glorious kingdom that resembles the glorious wealth of Jesus Christ himself. Christ will end all infant mortality and he will extend the lifespans of people to hundreds of years. Yet, of course, during this kingdom, unbelievers are still going to be able to die even though they're going to live for a long time. Isaiah 65, verse 20 to 23 and 23 says, Never again, listen to that word that God says, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. And you know, we in this church, we know some dear moms here who've had that terrible grief of losing their children. What a wonderful relief. What a wonderful mercy to know that in this kingdom, never again will a baby die. No infant mortality. Zero infant mortality. Imagine. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but for a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his years. Who, he who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Imagine knowing that when you give birth to a child, that there's no way in which this child can fail in this world. 
This child will succeed. This child will flourish. Man, it's, it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? What a glorious reality that God Himself is going to do this and Christ the King is going to bring the world into this state. Christ will teach all people to treasure deep and genuine interpersonal relationships. Malachi 4 verse 6 says, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Why would He single out fathers and children and children and fathers? Haven't we seen across this globe the effect of fatherlessness? Fatherless homes where children are brought up like weeds and children are undisciplined and children don't grow up with character and they don't make something of their lives. What a wonderful thing when God turns the hearts of the fathers to their children. Imagine a whole world where fathers love their kids. Where they produce children and they love them and they care for them and they bring them up with character and they help them to succeed in this world. What a wonderful world if you are a child and, and your father was absent as you were growing up. You say, oh, what a wonderful world. I can't imagine what this is going to be like. Christ, the king, the millennial king is going to bring this about. And he's going to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. They're going to look at their dads and they're going to love their dads. There are a lot of people in this world who don't love their dads because their dads are monsters. What a glorious and wonderful reality that Christ is going to bring about where there's going to be deep and lasting and genuine interpersonal relationships where almost like I hear from my African brothers and sisters how wonderful it is to live in a community where almost there's no fences. You can just go and sit in your, your neighbor's house. You can see what he's got to eat and you can go eat food in his kitchen and nobody has an issue with that. I mean, you can't do that in a lot of white people's houses because they don't want you to go and snoop around in their house. But imagine... A free society where everybody's happy and everybody loves each other and we're all family. Beautiful. Christ will soften the hearts of his people to love him. And of course, he's not speaking about glorified saints because our hearts have been made to love God as fully as we possibly can. But for unbelieving people who live in that world, unbelievers who go into their world, not yet glorified saints, he's going to turn their hearts so that they love him. He's going to soften their, soften their hearts. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17b says, At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all nations will gather to Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Gone. They're going to be humble and, and submissive to the authority of the king and they're going to go and worship him with full and glad hearts. No more deception, no more devious and uh, deceptive hearts. Christ will bring about understanding communication among all people. Imagine being able to communicate and not be misunderstood, especially deliberately misunderstood. Notice that in the millennial kingdom, of course, they're going to be different languages. We're going to retain our ethnicities. We're going to retain culture. We're going to retain language on which culture is based. But communication is no longer going to be a barrier to us. At the Tower of Babel, the scattering of languages came as a curse. And it caused so much division among people. But all of that division is going to be undone. That even if we are able to speak 
different languages, in some way we're going to understand each other and we're going to understand each other deeply and fully and we're going to love each other because we understand each other and we'll be close to each other. Revelation 5 verse 9 teaches us that there's going to be a new song and it says, and they sang a new song, you are worthy to take up the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, what Donovan was teaching last week. Why? With your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The crowds that you see in Revelation are always of every tribe and people and language and nation. Different people, diversity in the presence of God. And even though we all speak different languages, we're going to communicate, we're going to be able to communicate with each other in a meaningful way, just like you can speak to somebody else in your own home tongue. You know what it's like when you walk into a place and you hear somebody speaking your language and suddenly you feel at home, you want to go to that person and speak to them. The millennial kingdom is going to be like that. Beautiful communication. Christ will not only be king, but he will be priest from a new temple. What a glorious reality. Zechariah chapter 6 verse 13 says, It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. Of course, there's a whole section, Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. If you want to read about the, the temple in the millennial kingdom, Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48, there's eight whole chapters describing exactly what that temple is going to look like. And you can say, wow, this is, this is kind of beyond words. If you can work out what's going on in that temple in Ezekiel 40 to 48, you come tell me because I'd love to just feast on, on your imagination as you describe that temple. But there's going to be a glorious temple that is coming. Christ will make Jerusalem the global capital for worship. Jews will work worldwide as Christ's agents to lead worship. In Isaiah chapter 61 verse 6, it says there, And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. Notice the nations are going to be rich and the Jews, including the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to go out as ministers of our God to rule with Christ, we're going to feed on the wealth of the nations and we're going to be rich because the nations are rich. Christ will restore glorified saints to rule over this new global paradise. In case the kids are listening for this word this restored and glorious paradise in a rule that is both authorized by Christ and that resembles the rule of Christ. One of my favorite texts in Scripture, Romans 8, verse 19 to 21, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The creation is going to be brought into the freedom that God gives us as saints. I mean, 
these words are so big, we can't even imagine everything that Paul had in his mind after he'd been taken up into heaven and these things had been revealed to him. What a glorious reality that the whole creation is going to be liberated and freed. It's going to be a glorious paradise and we as believers in the Lord Jesus are going to be free to roam and to rule as uh, priests and kings by Christ's authority. Christ will make Jerusalem the global capital for worship. Christ will restore glorified saints to rule over the earth. And that brings us to almost the end here. And the other points are very short, just in case you're despairing at this point. Um, Why must there be a millennium? That's the next question. Now, of course, you've seen all of these things Christ will do. And you'll say, wow, it doesn't actually matter why there should be a millennium. All that matters for me right now is that there will be a millennial kingdom and I will be there and I will reign with Christ and we will all be stinking rich. I don't know if I can say that, but we're going to be wealthy and we're going to enjoy ruling in glory like this world has has never seen. But why must there be a millennium? Well, the first answer to that question is there must be a millennium because God has promised and God's promises must be fulfilled. There must be a millennium because God has said so. We read that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 to 6, remember? Right in the beginning. But the second reason there must be a millennium is because Christ must be exalted and He must be embraced and He must be submitted to in the place where He was humiliated and rejected. Christ suffered in this world. And you remember when Jesus was being um, tried by Pontius Pilate. And he stood in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is kind of saying to him, So, you reckon you're a king? Almost like, you're like, you don't look like much of a king. And what did Jesus say to Pontius Pilate? Yes, it is as you say. Huge, huge, huge big words in one little sentence. Yes, I am a king. You have no clue what kind of a king I am. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Imagine Pontius like, whatever, this guy's lost his mind. But this is what's going to happen when we see Jesus coming with all of His holy ones, with you and me, descending onto the Mount of Olives, splitting that mountain in half, the Jews running out of Jerusalem to escape their enemies, seeing Jesus falling on their knees, seeing the one they have pierced, all being saved at that one moment and entering into that glorious kingdom. There must be a millennium because Christ was humiliated and rejected in this world and He must be exalted and embraced in this world. The story is not done yet. But then the third reason why there must also be a millennium on this earth is because this earth is the place where Christ's people have been slaughtered and persecuted and laughed at and disregarded. I mean, you put the Bible in a courtroom today and you see how the world scoffs at the scriptures like, come on. You know, bring the Bible in here. We we judge according to the rule of law here. We don't judge according to the Bible. The world makes the Bible out and the Christ of the Bible, the God of the Bible, to be a small little thing. The interfaith movement, like everybody's got a different faith and they're all legitimate. No. 
Christianity is the exclusive way to God. And there's no other. And this Christ will come and He will glorify His saints in the place where His saints have been disregarded and looked at as nothing. Who've been scoffed at, who've been tortured, who've been martyred. What a glorious reality that one of the reasons why there's going to be a millennial kingdom is so that God can glorify you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in this world so that people can look and say, Yo, I had no idea I worked with that person. I was at school with that person. I had no idea that was one of the sons of the Most High God. Look at that glorious person. I can't believe I spent my schooling years with that person. Whew. had no idea who they were. God is going to glorify you believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons the millennium must come. All of us will reign in glory on the very earth where we have suffered. That's Revelation chapter 6. Remember, that's the whole story of the souls under the altar saying to Jesus, How long, Lord? How long? How long? Before you judge the inhabitants of the earth. And the reason why those saints, under the, the souls under the altar were so upset is because they had been martyred. They'd been, they'd been slaughtered for the name of Jesus. And they were calling down judgment on the people that had killed them. And Jesus, remember, he said, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. And in the very next chapter, in chapter 6, the judgment began. And you can imagine those saints under the altar, yeah! You know, they see the glory, they see the tribulation, they see God's judgment coming on the people who had slaughtered them and scoffed at them and mocked them. There must be a millennial kingdom because you have suffered in this world. And you will be glorified in this world. You won't be looked at as somebody to be discounted anymore. You'll be looked at somebody to be bowed to in the world to come. And that brings me to the very final point. And that is the question, well, what comes after that? If this kingdom is only going to last for a thousand years, then what's next? Now, if we've enjoyed this kingdom, well, the first thing is that you remember Satan was bound for a thousand years at the beginning of this, this kingdom. So Christ is going to allow Satan to be free at the end of this thousand-year kingdom. If we read in Revelation chapter 20, it says there, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations into the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they are like sand on the seashore, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Imagine people, generations of children who have been born to believing parents, they've chosen to turn against this glorious king, this glorious Christ who has turned this world into a wealthy paradise where there's peace and nothing to hurt. And they've decided, ah, we don't like this king anymore. And they've decided... Thousands upon thousands upon thousands and maybe even millions of them gathering together to destroy Christ on His throne in Jerusalem. Imagine the absurdity of enjoying paradise for a thousand years and then saying, no, let's kill the king. But they do that. Satan deceives the nations into rising up against Christ. And here they surround the camp of God's people. That's us. They're surrounding us. They think, let's kill these people. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. <laughs> Just like that. That's how, that's how they end. You know, no big war. No big showdown. They all like, with their weapons. I don't know what they got. But 
Next thing, this big fire bolt comes out of heaven and boom, they're all gone. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. And this is the first being to be thrown into hell. It's the first time hell has opened. And the beast and the false, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What a terrible reality for God's enemies on that day. Of course, I'm not going to go into all of the chronology around this, telling you I wish I could, but no time. And then the second reason, the second thing that happens after the millennial kingdom is the new heavens and the new earth. They will come about. God will, will, he's not going to destroy all of the material of this earth, like I was saying last time, but he's going to renew this. The word kainos in the Greek, speaking about the new heavens and the new earth. It's the same thing, same material, same physical bodies that we're living in, same sky, same air, same oxygen, same water, everything. But he's making it new. He's renewing it. He's giving it youthful vigor. So in, in one way, you can say, wow, this is brand new. But at the same time, you can see it's a heavens and an earth. It's the same thing that we've been living on and under for our whole lives. So after the millennial kingdom is the new heavens and the new earth. And that new heavens and new earth will last forever and ever and ever and ever. It will never come to an end. And that is the time when heaven unites with earth and the dwelling with God becomes at the same time the dwelling with men. And that is the glorious end of this whole beautiful kingdom so in conclusion i could say the millennium is a 1000 year kingdom when christ where christ will reign as king you christian will reign with him over nations in a renewed paradise in wealth and full joy in interpersonal relations god will show the intended glory of his original creation at the end of that time satan will try to destroy it all again and he will be completely defeated forever. Heaven and earth will then be joined. And we will live with God forever. So guys, it's a brand new year. Please be motivated by the millennial reign. And the rapture could take place in this very day. And this could all begin in a very short period of time. This is the final reality. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you've chosen to reveal so much of what's going to happen in the future to us thank you lord that this uh, view of the future does matter to us it does change the way we think it does change the way we we climb out of bed in the morning it changes the way we eat food and the way we drink it changes the way we look at each other and relate to each other it changes the way we spend our money it changes the way we drive our cars or um, the places that we go to Lord, it changes everything. It gives us drive because we know that nothing we do in this world is ever wasted. Every qualification, every skill we develop, every character trait that we, we work on with such difficulty, with tears even and agony, none of that is wasted because we're taking all of that into the kingdom to come where we reign with Christ for a thousand years before we enter into that glorious eternal kingdom. Lord, thank you that you've revealed this to us. Thank you that you've, you've produced such a beautiful future for us, a, a future in which we cannot possibly fail. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in 2022 to be motivated by these things. We pray these things in Jesus' lovely name.